You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 93 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I have to confess that I am a little bit excited, Valerie. Why is that? Because the school holidays, as we speak, yes. are nearly over. <laughs> and in fact, by the time this comes out, we'll probably be over. That's pretty so, exciting. Well, it is exciting. What does I mean, it mean I, for you? Well, it just means that it just means that I get by its stretch of day back to actually get in and do all the thousand things that I need to do as opposed to trying to wedge them in around yeah. other things. Um, and it's it's fine. I, I really enjoy the holidays in many respects and we have had a lovely time. There's been lots of beaching and lots of, you know, running around and doing various things. But um, it is hard and it does get really wearing by the end of it. I'm just like, because I'm just fully aware of the weight of work yes. that needs to be done and I'm not getting it done. What percentage but, of productivity do you think of yours goes down? Uh, well, I don't take on as much yeah. because I've learned my lesson very mm. seriously a couple of years ago when I made a mess of it. Um, so I don't take on as much, um, but I have been working very hard on trying to get this manuscript written. Um, I'm trying to get the first draft done of this new uh, book that I'm writing. And I am getting, you know, like I'm up to, I think I'm, since we last spoke, I've probably written 12,000 words. Wow. So I am. And he spoke a week ago. <laughs> yeah. Like I, cause I was, I think I was about 15,000. I'm now at about 27. Yeah. Um, so I am, you know, because, you know, I, it's always been my thing that you, you write when you can, yes. you write when you have to. Um, so I am getting it done, but I just feel a bit disjointed with it. I'm not quite sure because, it, you know, the way I write as well doesn't help right. um, in the sense that I'm fully making it up as I go along. Um, so, you know, when I come back to it after a full day of doing something else, I sometimes look at it and think, oh, what was I thinking? Like, really? <laughs> Where is this going? Um, so that makes it a bit hard. But, yeah, so, I, you know, the routine goes back to normal as of, you know, Thursday and we're, yeah. we're underway, which is awesome. I have a question about when you're writing the manuscript at this stage because this is obviously your first draft, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, after you finish one day, do you, when you come back to it the next day, do you reread and redraft at the same time or do you just no. reread to see where you're up to and then keep going? I read the last – I sort of read the last paragraph because I have – like when I say um, – like, so – Part of the process for me is very much including the thinking time as part of the writing time. So while I may have finished my last set, I mean, honestly, I picked it up the other day and I said to my husband, what was I doing here? Because I have actually finished halfway through a sentence. Like I had literally, (laughs) literally got halfway through the sentence and obviously got, you know, distracted, called away, whatever, and walked off. And I've come back to it and I'm like, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> what was I thinking? Um, but most of the time I'm sort of like thinking throughout the day at various times, I'm thinking about where I'm at with the plot and what's going to happen next and how's it going to work so so that by the time I do actually sit down, so um, I often sit down like later at night, particularly in the holidays, I will um, I will have had a fairly I'll have a fairly good idea of where I'm, what's going to go on, like mm. what's going to happen next, like where I was at last night and where I go to next. So I read the last couple of sentences just to kind of get the vibe, hoping that they're full sentences as opposed to half sentences. <laughs> and then um, and then I just go forward from there. And what I do basically um, is if I'm writing something and something sort of comes out and I think, oh, I needed that to have actually happened earlier, I will at that point go back and put it into the spot in the manuscript where I think it needs to be, where there needs to be right. more information about that. Mm. So I will go back and seed things in as I go, but I don't I don't actually edit as I go. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. I once was writing a manuscript. It was a manuscript? Yeah, it was a manuscript. And that particular scene was, I don't I can't remember exactly, but something to, associated with scientific or mathematical or whatever. And um I was just pushing myself because I was really, really tired. Like it was probably 3 a.m. or something. And I was just thinking, I'll just keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I must have had some kind of goal in my head. I'll just keep going. And then I read it back the next day. This is ridiculous. And I just burst out laughing because the scene was fine. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but it was fine. But somehow as I was getting tired, I kept on writing um, this was by hand, actually. Um, oh. I kept on writing, and it turned into a scene from Hawaii Five O. Oh, did you have that on in the background or something? I no, but I think I had thought my, to myself, once I finish this scene, I will watch Hawaii Five O as my reward, <laughs> which never happened because I fell asleep. Clearly, <laughs> clearly bizarre. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> yes. Oh, what well, you do find. I, 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 I sort of don't tend to write past my limits because I know when I've I know when I'm done like yes. as for the day, and that might be you know seven hundred words or that might be two thousand words. Like I know when the that particular burst of whatever that yes. wave is over, and I mm. stop at that point. Unfortunately, my pushing best... the wave never works for me. Well, that's true, and I I I realised that after that incident, mm. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I usually find that I get into a flow kind of unfortunately from 11 a.m. to 3 a.m. And I'm trying, I, you know, I've been in the 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. 3 a.m., yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, I know, crazy. Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> um, moving on to something else, I want to give a shout-out to The Contagionist who oh. very kindly left a uh, review and rating on iTunes. And oh. The Contagionist has said, fun, inspirational and motivating. Uh, um, this is my go-to podcast for all things writing and publishing, full of useful tips and industry information. It's upbeat and motivating. Valerie and Alison are lovely and the two interview and, and the interviews never fail to deliver a useful gem or two. So thank oh, you so that's much. That's very sweet. Yes, very sweet, The Contagionist. Like to be described as lovely. Okay. <laughs> I don't get lovely very often, so that's lovely. Thank you very much, Contagionist. I very much appreciate it. Yes, you've made our day. And you if you, if anyone else has uh, a spare 30 seconds to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be really great because it really does help us in the rankings. It does. 
But the thing that I've been focusing on this week is something that you're involved with, Alison. Yes. What's and that, that Valerie? Is <laughs> your is new it, Valerie? course on how to build an yes. author platform. And the girls in the office are really busy putting the finishing touches on it. And I highly recommend that everyone goes and registers their interest at writerscentercomau slash platform because if you do that, when you, you will be sent just before it launches a special pre-launch offer and that <gasps> offer sorry. will never be repeated. So make sure you sign up so that you can actually just get the information about it and you can decide whether it's right for you. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, um, the finished product because, of course, um, you know, I've written the course and put all the information yes. together and stuff, but then it goes off to your fabulous tech team who <laughs> turn it into an amazing event, which I can't wait to see. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. fun. But let's move on to you have an interesting link for us about uh, defamation and invasion of privacy from I do. Writer's Digest. Isn't that right? I do. It's from the Writer's Dig uh, blog on Writer's Digest and it is. it was a it really grabbed my attention because I thought this is an area that people um, often get confused about and it is a difficult thing and it's the main reason that I don't write memoir Um, because when we talk about memoir, you know, it is your story but you cannot help but involve other people in that story. It's about other people as well because your life is not, you know, no man is an island so to speak. Um, So your life is touched by others. And then, you know, often when you're writing a memoir, you're writing the most dramatic bits of it and they aren't always kind no. to other people. Um, and so it's an interesting thing that um, of knowing what to put in and what to leave out and how far can you go and how many details do you need to actually mention and would you be better off fictionalising it? And it's an, mm. it was I think it was top of mind for me because I actually received an email from a friend of mine who has written a memoir and I've read some of it and it's quite amazing and it's an amazing story but she's very much worried about exactly, you know, the effect this might have on other people. Yes. Um, so this particular link uh, that, that I'm going to put in the show notes on Writer's Digest was written by Amy Cook and it's a US-based uh, article. So it's she's an attorney in the US. So, um, you know, some of the information is obviously very US-based. But um, I think the thing that writers can probably take away from it is mm. this uh, the idea of what defamation actually is, mm. what invasion of privacy is, um, how much you can use, how many um, identifying details you need to change. Um, are people going to recognise themselves from the descriptions that you've used? Um, and it's quite interesting because uh, Augustine Burroughs, of course, is the author of a very famous memoir, uh, Running With Scissors, mm. bestseller, you know, went nuts all around the world. He was um, actually sued in 2005 by the Turcotte family who um, said that they were the basis for the Finch family that Burroughs lived with and subsequently betrayed in his memoir. And that actually, that went to court and there was a whole lot of um, discussion there. He defends his work as accurate, saying mm. that, you know, these things actually happened so therefore I can write about them. Mm. But in the settlement, um, the writer of the blog post says he actually agreed to call it a book rather than a memoir in the mm. author's note. Um, so it's still referred to as a memoir on the cover, on the title page. Everyone else talks about it as a memoir. But when he talks about it in the acknowledgements of future editions, right. then he has to recognise that this family has conflicting memories of events because, wow. of course, we all remember things differently. Yes. Um, and, you know, you see a lot, I think, particularly 
on the internet of bloggers, you know, talking about writing their truth, yes. like I'm going to write my truth, you have to remember that, you know, there's the truth and then there's your truth yes. and then there's someone else's truth. Um, and I think that when you're writing a memoir, you've got to be very, very clear about maybe, you know, is it the truth, your truth, their truth, whose truth yeah. are you talking about? Um, so I, th- I found it to be a really interesting article and um, I think it's definitely worth a look. Even, I mean, you know, whether you're writing memoir or not, it's yes. worth knowing the difference between defamation, invasion of, uh, invasion of privacy, etc. Definitely. And we'll put the link in the show notes. It's certainly a lot of food for thought. And mm. if anyone is interested in writing a, a memoir, then, um, yeah, check out the life writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre because one of the things that uh, Patty Miller, who is the teacher, discusses is, um, you know, accessing your memory and making sure it's as accurate as possible. But mm. it also encompasses many of the issues that you've just mentioned. That's but right. on a completely different tack. Okay. Um, what have you got, Val? Remember how some time ago we talked about how you could win like a residency, like a writers-in-residence kind of yeah. thing, uh, in a house um, you, there were there were um, houses in America. I can't remember where, like you know, Philadelphia or Detroit. Yeah, was and wasn't Detroit. there also a castle? There was a, ca- a castle. There's a castle. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. But now Seattle is advertising a writer's residency in a bridge. Oh, I know, right? A bridge. Okay. So okay. the you this the transport department is offering ten thousand dollars so that's a decent writer's residency hmm. for a unique residency in a bridge tower <laughs> that would be so, so cool it would be cool like you'd be like a troll in a bridge right so you can be a poet or a fiction writer or a creative non-fiction writer and you will get ten thousand dollars to work in that space for three months and um but you are expected to undertake an in-depth exploration of the bridge and write a literary response to the experience because the bridge is turning 100 in 2017. So kind of bizarre. It's um, a pretty cool-looking bridge, though. It like is I'm cool looking, looking at it. There's a picture here of it on, on the post, which we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes. Um, but it's one of those, what do you, like, it's like the spit bridge. What do you call those, the ones that open up? The bridge that opens up in the, the middle. The bridge that opens up in the middle, <laughs> one of those. They've got a technical name. I know. I'm they sure. Do. And it's got a cute little oh, tower ba- on it. Bascule. B a s c u l e. There you go. And it's uh, it's got a cute little tower on one end. But I could, you could definitely see yourself being inspired by being there because yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. But that, speaking of writing competitions, there's been an interesting link here um, on uh, the uh, RT website, rt.com, um, uh, that uh, police in um, a city in Siberia have arrested a 20-year-old man for possession of the drug Spice. But hmm. the suspect told them that he won the illegal substance on a website after writing an article on the effects of narcotics. <laughs> so he's saying that I entered this writing competition and I won all these drugs and that's why I've got all these drugs. So <laughs> slightly okay. different to $10,000. but it's So perhaps the moral of the story is see what the prize is before you enter the competition? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, but police found him at a train station completely high and uh, now he's Well, he facing- was excited because well, he won. Yeah. That's all. That's right. I think they're being very unfair. Very unfair. Oh dear. Oh dear. And another. Um, it's just been a, a wacky week, Al. Okay. Because, clearly. 
Yeah. Haven't the, you got any Latin for us this week at all? No Latin, but what I do oh. have, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes, this is from the Daily Mash. <laughs> There's some the auditors in the UK have hailed a self-employed man's tax return as a masterpiece of contemporary fiction. Oh. <laughs> they say that it's a sweeping tale of imaginary expenses, forgotten cash payments, and pretending to live on a houseboat. Wow, that's yes. impressive. Yeah, but he and the um the auditor they described it as the war and peace of tax returns. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the um the guy whose tax return it is, he has said it's totally autobiographical. Everything in it really happened. Well, eighty percent of it at least. <laughs> Some of it comes from memory because I lost the receipts. Oh, see, <laughs> different kind of memoir. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, a bit of a wacky week in the world of writing. Oh dear. But something very exciting, Al. Okay. Our giveaway this week. Do you know what it what? is? No, Valerie, I don't know what it is. What okay, is everyone. It? Our giveaway this week is awesome because it's not one, it's not two, it's three books. And it's not just any three books, it is the Mapmaker Chronicles trilogy, signed oh. by A. L. Tate, who is none other than <laughs> Alison Tate. That's me. Now, oh my God. If, there, if there are new people to this podcast, uh, tell people what the Mapmaker Chronicles is about. Oh, okay. So the Mapmaker Chronicles is a sweeping epic adventure story for kids aged probably nine plus, boys and girls, and it's about a race to map the world and a boy who really doesn't want to go. Awesome. And it's, uh, yeah, it's sea monsters and pirates and crumbling castles and storms and and it has only it. it has only been listed on every second or every practically every short list and prize in Australia. So yes. ten points for that. Ten points all round. So yes, that, that's exciting. It is exciting. I get to be a giveaway. I love that. Entries close on Monday, the first of February, and if you want to enter, just go to writerscenter.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and be able to learn at your own pace, with 12 months access to all course materials. To find out more, visit writerscentercomau slash murder course. All right, so now... Let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Who have you got for us, Valerie? This was an interesting one. Jay Ford. Jay is in J-A-Y-E, Ford. This is so inspiring to me because she decided at the age of 40 that her dream to become an author would never re- be realised unless she actually finished writing something because oh, she had cool. all these unfinished manuscripts. <laughs> and, I, you know, I think that is a fantastic thing to discover. Yeah. But, you know, 
she stuck with it. And 10 years later, so she's patient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her first book, Beyond Fear, was the highest selling debut crime novel in Australia in 2011 and won a host of awards. She followed that up with another three thrillers, Scared Yet, Bloody Secret, and Already Dead. So now her fifth thriller is called Darkest Place and it goes it, it's released in February 2016 but interestingly because she lives sort of like near Newcastle or Lake Macquarie or somewhere in, in, in Australia but interestingly she doesn't only do that she writes under the name Jeanette Paul uh, as oh. romantic comedy so very interesting chat let's have a listen to Jay thank you so much for joining us today Jay Thank you for having me. Now, for readers who haven't got their hands on this book yet, uh, can you tell us what it's about, Darkest Place? Okay, so Darkest Place is about a woman, Carly Townsend, who's just moved to a new town, Newcastle actually, and uh, she doesn't know anyone. And when she on the first few nights uh, in her apartment, she wakes and thinks that someone has been in her bedroom. She calls the police. Uh, and over some time, uh, the police basically don't believe her. She has no other friends to turn to. And as she has recurring incidences of this person in her bedroom standing over her bed, she tries to convince the police and her own past starts to come to light and the police and Carly herself start to doubt her own sanity. Awesome. So how in the world did this idea come to you, this this premise? Where did this come from? Uh, I guess it's such a strange one, but I guess like any book, they come from a lot of different places. But the the part where someone is standing in the bedroom, um, I had wanted to write something that was scary in a different way to my other novels and that was quite personal mm-hmm. uh, and might also become, might might not become a personal attack. I hadn't written it in this sense mm-hmm. and I wondered where that might go. And, and I thought, well, you know, having someone coming into your bedroom is really scary. And as it turned out, I was talking to my uh, friend, uh, critique um group and one of the women there sent me an email of some reports of a man, I think it was in Brisbane, who was breaking into women's apartments and it had taken some time for the police to realise that it was the same man, five different, five or six different apartments in different parts of the city and basically he was breaking into their apartments. The women were waking up and this man was standing beside the bed. One woke up and he was on the bed with her. And I thought, that is just really scary. And I thought that was a really great place to start. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Goodness me. Now, I understand that you decided at the age of 40 that your dream to become an author would never be realized unless you actually sat down and wrote something (laughs) and finished writing something. (laughs) But then 10 years later, your first book, Beyond Fear came out. It was the highest selling debut crime novel in Australia in 2011. And then you've written another, um, you've written three other books, Scared Yet, Blood Secret and Already Dead and now Darkest Place. So you're like a veteran now. But tell us, uh, between the age of 40 and 10 years later, 50, what happened in that period? (laughs) 
Well, I guess it's worth starting with what happened before then. Okay. That I had always wanted to write a novel and one of the driving factors was, of course, I read a lot and I just really wanted to see my own book on the shelves. Mm. And from about the age of, I don't know, 16 or 17, I started having goes at it, but I never finished anything. And a lot of the time, especially very young, I didn't finish a scene. Mm. or I finished a scene and never got any further. And then um, various changes in my life at periods when I had time, uh, when I had small children or when I was studying, I would write a few chapters or I would write an outline, but I never actually finished anything. So at the age of 40, and I actually went through what I had, and I had maybe 20 part-finished, part-written novels. And so I decided... This is never actually going to happen unless I finish something. Mm. So between the age of, I guess, 40 and 50, uh, I attempted to finish things. And so by the time Beyond Fear came out, I had written three complete manuscripts. <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and it actually took me four years to finish the first one because I discovered actually finishing the project mm. was actually really hard because to get past that, that moment of excitement when you first start writing and the story's really fresh and it feels really fabulous and you're really excited and you're writing, to get past that moment to the hard middle bits and to the difficult-to-finish end, mm. uh, it actually takes a lot of uh, time and prioritising in your life to get all of those words down. And in some ways it took probably four years to do that, to get that first novel finished. Mm, yeah. uh, and uh, and by that stage I I joined a critique group and actually I just joined a criti critique group when, when that first uh, manuscript was finished and the first advice they gave to me was just keep writing. Don't spend all your time just rewriting the first book. And secretly it was because the first book was really bad. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, yeah, just keep writing. So I did. I started the second book. And by then I realised that uh, to actually have a career as a writer I really needed to be able to write a book a year so I set myself a target I didn't think I could do it in a year so I set myself a target of 18 months and I wrote the first draft in 18 months and uh, and so then I by the time I'd edited it it had been about two years and so then Beyond Fear started came and I started and I gave myself the target of 12 months to be finished which I did and, and so, it was published. Yeah so tell us about the publication process of Beyond Fear? Like, did you submit it to an agent? Did you go straight to a publisher? Tell us about what happened in that first book. Okay, so once again, the first book also involves the others. So for that 10-year period of learning really how to be a published writer, how to be an author, was also about how I get it to the people that make decisions. Yes. So I had learned that there were various ways of doing that. Um, after my first manuscript, I must have sent out about 10 query letters to publishers all around the world and have still never heard back from any of them. <laughs> <laughs> so the first job was to actually work out how to get it in front of the people that actually make decisions about your work and work out who those people are for starters. So um, with the... I. Some of those ways of doing that is to get the book into competitions. So I had entered my second novel into a competition. Uh, it had finished, it was a national competition, it had finished second and the London judge 
um, actually asked to see the whole manuscript. And uh, so that was actually kind of in the process of that offer being made. Um, the, the offer they were making me, they actually wanted half the novel and I had to decide whether that was what really what I wanted to do. Um, and but so kind of a roundabout thing. I had sent that novel in for um, the competition, but it got held up at the post office and missed the deadline by a couple of days. So they sent the entire entry back. And uh, that was my moment of going, what am I doing? I've spent, you know, six years writing this and I could never get anywhere. And I spent a couple of months just throwing my hands in the air and saying, I'm never going to do this. And I realized that I actually really liked that writing process, the, the process of putting the words down on the page and creating that world of characters and uh, and so I decided I was going to write regardless and even if it meant that I never got published at all I was going to continue writing. So that was when I started writing Beyond Fear. Uh, the next year came around with that competition for the previous manuscript and so I literally just packaged it up and sent it off. I think I maybe read the first chapter and just sent it away and um, then it came second in that in that competition and I went to a writers conference and another way of getting your work in front of people is to do the face-to-face -face pitch so I Beyond Fear is an Australian story I felt it probably wouldn't sell outside of Australia so I fronted up to do a pitch to an Australian agent and uh, I told her that I'd won the award and she said yeah great get back to me uh, send me your th first 30 pages and you know I'll read it and uh, within, by the time that I had sent her the pages, I actually got the offer from that other competition. Oh. And, uh, and so after, so I've got to say, by this stage, it's seven years. I've heard virtually nothing from the publishers. So I emailed that agent and said, remember me, I'm the one who pitched this novel. Well, now I've had uh, an offer on another novel. And literally 10 minutes later, I got an email back saying, what other novel? And uh, yeah, so uh, kind of went from there. She read the novel. I said I really wanted to write thrillers and uh, rather than the other one and uh, she read the novel and said she thought it had legs and uh, so she then went through the process of presenting it to publishers. It was put out um, on auction to all six publishers they were back then and uh, yeah it went to an auction and uh, in the end I had the choice of three publishers which was the most the most amazing thing after literally at that point seven years of virtually hearing nothing from anyone. <laughs> wow so do you remember the day that you were told that you had these three offers or? That oh yeah it was completely insane it was I had a month so um, the publishers were given a month in which to respond and uh, yeah when the month was up and I had three publishers there was you know just like screaming and carrying on going <laughs> on at home <laughs> and uh, yeah and I guess for me the most exciting thing was that uh, there were offers made and <laughs> I, I was I actually realized that the offers couldn't be taken back so somebody actually wanted my novel and was prepared to pay money for it and that couldn't be taken away. I kept saying, oh, they can't take it back. It's really going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it was an amazing day. And, and uh, yes, the day that I met publishers and actually selected who, that I was going to go with Random House, my husband bought Moe and the kids and I and, and my husband stood around the kitchen bench and, and drank Moe and went, oh, who's going to act in this? <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah. So in your first 40 years as you were developing <laughs> and you had those 20 half-finished manuscripts, uh, were they all thrillers? No, no, not at all. I, I started 
writing romance. So, the, you know, when I was a kid, um, my parents had a caravan and we'd go away for Christmas at, for six weeks and we'd live beside the beach in a caravan and my mum would turn up. First thing, one of the first things she did was go to the local secondhand bookstore and buy a mountain of novels. And mm-hmm. along the, in the mountain of novels there would be, you know, a ton of Mills and Boons. Mm-hmm. And uh, my sisters and I used to read the Mills and Boons and say, well, I can write that. And, uh, and so that's kind of where I started. I thought, well, I can write that. I used to read all these and kind of work out how the stories might fit together. And, and so I, to a certain degree, for a very long time, I thought that I probably couldn't write anything else, that I was probably not one of those people who could write some amazing novels. So I'll write what I thought, what I thought would be simple. And, uh, and so I started to write romance and uh you know would be scenes of and drafts of and and um ideas around romance novels um at one point i had another novel and as um as i kind of matured i guess i wanted to write about different things but i you know i had a job and i had two small kids and i i had story ideas that I probably never put onto paper mm-hmm. that were not romance novels. Um, but the first two manuscripts I finished were romantic comedies, not the Mills and Boone, um, but romantic comedies. And uh, and in that process, I have to say, because I have a lot of writer friends who are romance novels, they may appear simple, but they're incredibly difficult to write. And the publishers are very specific about what they want. And I really couldn't write it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, although having said that, that second manuscript did end up being published as well. I, um, so when I, when I got to that point of deciding what am I going to do, what am I going to write, I had pretty much been reading crime novels back to back for several years mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you know, I, what I really want to do is write a book that I want to read and that is going to entertain me. And when I thought that it was possible I'd never, ever be published, then I thought, well, I'm just going to entertain myself here and write <laughs> this book, which became Beyond Fear. And it it did entertain me for a year. (laughs) So thrillers are really quite complex because there's so much more to them and you've got to keep your audience on the edge of their seat or keep your audience guessing, uh, your readers guessing. So do you know what's going to happen before you start or are you one of those authors where things unfold as as you as you write, particularly in the thrillers that you write, um, more uh, more the second than the first. I mm-hmm. usually start with some idea of what <laughs> excuse me, some idea of what I think the story is going to be about, and mostly for me, it starts with the characters and the kind of drama that those characters are going to deal with. Uh, I have some ideas of where the story might go and the kind of scenes that might turn the story and how the characters might interact, where the scary bits might come in, where the intense moments might come in uh, and where the characters might play off each other. I have those kind of things in mind and then the rest of it kind of plays out as I as I write, which can be really scary at times and kind of fun at other times. <laughs> Do you find if that's the case where the rest of it plays out, you can get 50,000 words in and paint yourself into corner and go, oh, my God, I've got to start again or chuck out the last 
30,000 or whatever. Yeah, and pretty much that's what happened with Darkest Place. Right. Uh, for, a couple of, for a couple of reasons, actually. So for me, uh, a lot of it was the unfolding of the story. I never planned too much, so I didn't have to have too much to work towards. Uh, and so I, so I could have themes in my head about how it might play out and then and then it would kind of work towards that. With Beyond Fear, I probably wrote quite a bit more. I do. I did come to a point with Beyond Fear that I really wanted her to do this thing and I couldn't make her do it. And I tried maybe five different ways of writing a few these few scenes and I just couldn't make her do it. So I, in the end, decided that, well, obviously she's not going to do that and then had to kind of write with no plan at all, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of different to what you're saying as well because the story had grown to that place and then it just continued on from there. With Darkest Darkest Place, the one that I've just finished, mm. I really needed to work out what I wanted to happen, what I wanted to be happening in the story. I really needed to work out if it could happen and and which meant working out my ending. Mm. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time actually working out my ending and I got stuck at the beginning and I had all these different places that I wanted to start the story. And in fact, I wrote 20,000 words before I went, oh, actually, I think this is the beginning. And so 20,000 words got knocked off the beginning and I'd pretty much started from scratch. So I was on a 12-month deadline and had to start from scratch about four months in, which was not a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. And then I then had, I had a bunch of problems with um, with Dark's Place. I had, I had, uh, I had minor surgery. It was... Um, uh, but I had a general anaesthetic and so this is about halfway through the writing of this book and uh, the drugs just really had a big effect on my brain. I really didn't expect that at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, after the surgery, I was fine, more or less fine and uh, I sat at my comu- computer and couldn't write anything. <laughs> and uh, And then about six weeks after that I got rushed to hospital with chest pains which was kind of like a complication with the first surgery and it wasn't a heart attack it was nowhere near a heart attack but it had to be treated in that way so once again I ended up with just all these drugs and uh, and so after that I spent another month sitting in front of my computer going oh I can't write anything my brain is just stupor and uh, and so then it finally kind of started to work again and I I started writing in this direction and I, yeah, ended up in this place that I had, it was all just a complete mess and I, Christmas came and I had to extend my deadline and once again I virtually had to start the idea from scratch again and mm. and start working because uh, it had gone off in all these different crazy tangents and, uh, yeah, and so I ended up writing about double of the book. and. Wow that out of it so yeah things can get completely awry when you're kind of working I, I felt like I was I felt like I was working backwards by starting at the end yeah coming back to the beginning yeah so kind of strange kind of a strange process so and not we, fun. when you're writing thrillers and certainly when you write other kinds of books as well but uh, particularly with thrillers you need to often know things about the police or about the law or about criminals or about murder or about medical conditions how much research (laughs) how much research did you have to do for this book what kind of research and and did you do it before or did you do it during or how does that work well I kind of do I do a lot during I do a lot of research especially online as I'm writing as I need to know stuff um and when I can see it coming up I also do a bit more 
a fair bit before as well. I've got um, a, a retired police superintendent that I use for my police research mm. and at the start of every book I sit down with him and tell him what I think the book is going to be about and we talk about how the police might be involved in that and uh, how they might look at because the way I write it as a as a psychological thriller I always look at it from the victim's point of view and what it's like to live through that so he talks me through how the police would see it and how they would deal with it and and how they would approach it and because interesting with this one too because uh, with darkest place because the police actually don't believe what's happening to Carly and so I didn't want the police to be the bad guys but it needed to be realistic the way that they were approaching her so it was quite um, important that I got that right. I also have a friend whose husband is an ex-patrolman, and um, he talked to me. He talked me through how he would handle the circumstances of meeting this woman and going back to her place repeated times, and how his thought process process would be going, and how he would deal with someone like Carly. Mm. And so that kind of set me up. That was quite a nice way of setting up the beginning of the book and how that all kind of fed into the rest of it and and whether the the ideas of whether Carly was or wasn't actually um, sane. Mm. Handy so, contacts to have, right? Yeah, they are. <laughs> so you also write under the name of Jeanette Paul, which is romantic comedy, and you yeah. have uh, a book called Just Breathe. When... Um, Romantic comedy is totally different to yes, writing <laughs> to, to thrillers in terms of the reader experience, certainly. Uh, as a writer of both of them, uh, well, first of all, well, as, well, let me start again. So as a writer of both of them, do you need to switch hats or change gears or, you know, instead of having um, murder pictures surrounding you, have pictures of pretty flowers or something? Or do you write differently? Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely have to wear a different hat. I don't have pictures around me. No, that might be interesting. <laughs> I should try that. But uh, no, definitely have to get into a different frame of mind. And I probably wouldn't just swap back and forth between the two within an hour. I would maybe work on one in the morning and one in the afternoon. That would probably, when I, I was actually working on Blood Secret, writing Blood Secret while I was editing Just Breathe and it was quite a weird experience but mm -hmm. I did have to make a conscious effort to um, be one or the other, be Jeanette Paul or be Jay Ford because um, ev everything that you write, all the, all the word selection and all, the, all the, um, the way that you construct the sentences is quite different if you're going for a laugh or something light or if you're actually aiming to kind of, you know, hit some deep dark thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it is, it, it is quite a weird experience. <laughs> Which do you prefer? Um, so after writing five thrillers and one romantic comedy, it's not a matter of preference, it's more a matter of getting light and shade. And so in an ideal world, I'd probably write two crime novels to a romantic comedy. Uh, and so I, so having said that, I'm just finished Darkest Place and I'm just about to start a romantic comedy and it will be after Darkest Place, which it took me to some very dark places, um, mm -hmm. it will be really nice to write something light and fun, yeah. Uh, just just to just to find that completely different part of my brain again. Um, you know, three five thrillers in, you start to live within these really dark places, and <laughs> and uh, it's quite nice to just think about something else for a while. So before you 
um, became a full-time writer and you were writing all of these half-finished manuscripts and that sort of thing, presumably in your spare time, what was your career? So I started as a journalist. I started out in radio journalism, reading news, uh, and as a radio reporter. Um, I worked in as a journalist for 12 years uh, in radio, TV, and print. Uh, then I uh, ran my own public relations business, uh, which I ran it from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had two small kids, so in amongst having being a journalist and I had two children and so I it was more or less part-time running my business from home and being a mum and then I spent and it was actually when I gave up that business that I started to really try and focus on my writing so I went from that to finding a way and finding the discipline to write. So when you are writing full-on properly Do you have a typical day or do you have a certain target or word count that you want to achieve or any kind of writing rituals that you start off with to get into the groove, anything like that? Uh, Yeah, pretty much all of those things. I have, I work, so it's my full-time job. So I work at like a full-time job. So I start in the morning about nine Mm -hmm. o'clock. My ritual in the morning is to start with my coffee. Uh, I've got a bunch of coffee sitting on the desk and, uh, you know, I kind of sign into my laptops, got a couple of laptops and I sign into those and pour the coffee and that kind of settles me into my frame of mind. And, uh, yeah, so I work till lunchtime and I take a lunch break and I work through till about 6 o'clock at night. And uh, I, I'm obviously my own boss mm-hmm. So and my mum has been quite unwell so I take off time when I need to, if I need to shop or if I need to go and do stuff for my mum. Uh, my kids have both moved out of home so, you know, I take time off to go and see them. Uh, you know, all, all the kind of normal things that a boss living at home would do but it, it pretty much is a working day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, I also set myself targets. I like to aim for about about a thousand words a day Hmm. um, which is about five thousand words a week so if I don't make a thousand words a day I can make it up on other days and I try to get to five thousand words a week and I also try not to beat myself up if I don't (laughs) I cheer cheer really loudly if I beat it (laughs) why do you sign into a couple of laptops oh I uh because I've got I kind of acquired another one, which has been fantastic, and I, I keep my emails on a separate one so that I, I'm not always interrupted by my emails um, and I do all, all my social networking, networking and whatnot on the other laptop so I kind of keep it separate. It's on the other side of the desk and I close it down when I'm, when I'm not doing that and I'm not forever getting interrupted by, by all the other stuff that I'm actually keeping my brain within the, within the story. Mm. It actually works really well. And what's next for you? What are you working on now? So um, I'm, I've actually taken a break. I've had about three months. I will have had about four months off by the time I get back to work on February. So I'm feeling very refreshed and mm-hmm. creative again, which is lovely. I'm starting on um, another romantic comedy. Um, I've got one that's already written and it's about rewriting it basically. So I'm, I'm hoping that will be about a six-month project and then I'm getting stuck into my next uh, thriller. Exciting. Do you know what that's about? The thriller? Yeah. Uh, not yet. I've got a few different ideas um, kind of going around in my head, uh, kind of uh, stories that are about 
uh, real life, I suppose. It's the kind of thing that I like to write about, things that might happen to the person who's reading the book mm. or things that might happen to might have been similar to someone that they might know and can imagine it. So, you know, I kind of think about um, experiences that I've had, experiences that I've read about and then try and fit lots of other ideas within that. So I'm still in that process of, oh, that idea feels good and kind of letting it roll around in my mind for a little while and and at the same time kind of building up the kind of feeling that I want to go with it, this kind of emotion and and um, the the elements of the scare that I want want to go with it. Wow, cool. So, and finally, what's your advice for aspiring writers who, you know, they may be 40 like you were <laughs> and thinking, I've got all these half-finished manuscripts, I want to make it happen. What's your advice to them? Uh, I, so my advice is always the same and it's quite boring uh, and it would be really nice if there was a piece of advice that would absolutely ensure that the person listening to this interview would go and get published. But really it's just about being disciplined and writing, actually mm. giving it priority, telling people that you're trying to write a novel and sticking at it because it's, you know, it's the only sticking at it that actually gets the manuscript finished. It's the writing and the writing and the writing that teaches you how to write. You can't imagine those things. You have to actually be putting words on the page to do that. And in my experience, it was about having my work in lots of places and getting it in front of a variety of people, getting it in front of people who can make good judgments um, in competitions and getting it in front of people who make decisions. Mm. Well, obviously, it worked out well for you. So this is very exciting. Your fifth thriller, Darkest Place. We can't wait to get our hands on it. So thank you so much for your time today, Jay. Thank you. What a great interview, Val. I find it so interesting that she writes, like she's obviously very prolific and she's writing several things, you know, at once, which I think is... Changing hats. Changing hats, exactly, and changing, I mean, you know, almost changing, given that she's got a pseudonym, changing personalities as she goes. Yeah. But um, it's, that's quite an interesting um, an interesting thing because I it brings to mind a question that I get asked regularly and I've just been asked re- uh, recently, so I'm going to now ask it to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> are you ready? Sit back. Will I be able take, to answer it? Take a deep breath. Okay. I'm going to shine lights in your eyes now. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Um. So the question is that uh, this particular person uh, emailed me and said that, you know, obviously, you know, she she listens to our podcast and she reads my blog and blah, 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 and she sees that I work on multiple projects at the same time. I'm doing a lot of different things. And she's sort of like, how do you do it? Um, So I know how I do it, uh, but I would like you to share how you do it because I know that you also work across a lot of different projects, different kinds of projects as well, not just writing projects, but a lot of different things um, all at the same time. So how do you do it, Valerie? Well, I suppose I'll start with multiple writing projects because that's the most relevant for mm. for now. But basically, um, it can drive you crazy. Mm, it does. <laughs> and you need to know where you are at for each one. So sometimes you might have five projects going at once. At once. You know, sometimes in my much more frenzied periods, I might have 10 or 12 and that is – quite stressful actually mm-hmm. that's Having, a bit silly Valerie. yeah Let's 10 or 12 put, yeah, I've been in those positions and it's not a good place to be and sometimes that sometimes that was just because I mistimed things or whatever mm. but anyway let's say you've got you know five to eight projects going at once I think that 
when they are at the, if they're around at the start, it's not that stressful because you just start getting into them. And mm. basically, when you are in the research phase or the you know preparation phase of a writing project, you're gathering. So you're finding this bit out on this project. You're finding that bit out on another project. But you need to wait often for mm. certain pieces of information to arrive, and you you can't start writing yet. Mm. So. Uh, it's actually okay when that happens because all you do in your day is make sure that you're actively pursuing whatever bits of information or whatever research is required for that particular project. It's only when you actually then have all of the information that you go, and especially it's pretty bad if that it all happens at the same time. Mm, and it's where, all due the next day. And it's all due the next mm-hmm. day where you go, Oh my goodness, I now have to get corral all of this information into a coherent thing. Mm. So what happens then is I just need to dedicate the time and I guess as a journalist you're so used to deadlines and you just say, okay, tonight I'm going to finish project A and mm. you you put aside every other project and you just focus on project A and get that done and you force yourself under – in no circumstances can you let yourself off the hook to finish that night because you know that after 10 o'clock or whatever time you've allocated that, you need to start on project B or it might be the next day, whatever. Mm. So it, it's, 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 and it's, it's an exercise in time management but I also truly believe that if you didn't have five projects at on at once and you just had to say one you will get that one and you will fill up that time anyway you you fill up whatever time you have for whatever projects you've got on so if you make yourself have good deadlines and you make yourself stick to them that's an important part but in terms of managing them it's kind of like having like in my notebook I might have a separate double page spread in my notebook for each project so I can they they're all divided up into their own separate sections and they're not all the to do they're they're not all in the same to-do list because then that can get confusing so it's compartmentalizing them as much as you can as well because that simply helps you also compartmentalize them in your brain it's just healthy how about you well all of those things I I agree with so I I basically the way I run my life is is with my to-do list. Um, mm-hmm. I think we have probably discussed that before, but um, I write things down because I, I, if you're trying to carry too much information in your head at any given time, you are going to overlook something. Um, what do so you I physically write, every- write them in, into, a book or a computer or what? Do you actually write them into? I write them into a notebook. I have a specific, and I and it's 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 a it's in front of me. I only have one. I don't tend to do like a lot. Mm. It's just this is what I need to do today. But what I also do, and I think we've talked about this before, is before I go to bed every night, I send myself an email mm. that will be waiting for me in the morning, and it will it will list in order the things that need to be done first that day, so that I can get those things you know happening. Um, so I do that. I have my to do list. But I if prior- they're in an email, do you print it out and then? cross it off because if it's no, in an no, email no. you can't cross it, off and that's no, really no. satisfying oh I know that well I just delete them um <laughs> as I go through it's more just it's more the email is more it's not so much about the crossing off it's more about the reminder it's it, uh, it allows yes. my brain to go to sleep at night because I know that I'm going to wake up in the morning and it's going to be right in front of me and I'm not going to even have to look for it yeah right. so it's more that so it's a to-do list I prioritize things so it's like if I'm working on if I I always um What's priority for me if I get a new job, particularly a feature article, is to line the interviews up 
as you know quickly as possible. Mm. Get the interviews organised. Schedule them into the week. Um, whenever they're possible, you know, whenever they can be done, work around them. So I prioritise interviews, and then you know, it's a matter of prioritising the writing once the time for those for that comes around. Yes. I know how long it takes me to write yep. a story. So that's important. So if it's an 800-word story and it's, you know, X number of interviews and it's a write-around and it's whatever, I know mm. it will take me an hour. Mm. If it's three case studies and, a you know, whatever, I know it's going to take me longer. Mm. So I, I always have an idea of how, because that way I'm not sort of sitting down to write the story at 7 o'clock at night and then, you know, still there at midnight thinking, God, yeah. what was I thinking? And it's due the next day. So I know how long it, how long they take. Mm. Um, I follow things up regularly. So if I'm working on something, I, I, I work on it regularly enough to know exactly where it is at any given time. Um, and, yeah, and I allocate the time to, to actually fit everything into the week. So I, I give each story or each. So, for example, at the moment I'm working on this um, manuscript. Um, I allocate time for it every day. Mm. so that I get it done because if I don't do that, it will be like five days and I'll be like, oh, I haven't written anything. Yeah. The other thing I do, and this is actually a term that you use, Al, is mm. to make sure you make the most of snatched time. Oh, absolutely. And, and that is, um, you know, because sometimes you're not always at your computer. You might be driving kids around or doing an errand or going to the bank and it just takes time to get in the car and go to the bank, all that sort of stuff, is that um, I, I don't – kid myself into trying to convince myself that I need to be sitting at my computer at my in my lovely little home office to type. I have no. my little iPhone and I have a little keyboard that fits into my handbag and I've written entire feature articles on my iPhone typing mm-hmm. into the keyboard as I'm waiting for something or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm way away somewhere or in mm-hmm. a cab or whatever. So arm yourself with the technology to make it easy for you mm. as well. I mm-hmm. think that that really, really helps. It saves me an incredible amount of time. Oh, and I've got one last tip yes. if you're managing multiple projects is to make sure that you have a good balance of short and long so mm, that absolutely. You know, so you're not doing three projects that are taking you six months mm. and you're not doing three projects that are all due the next day. You want to basically have a good mix of, of you know, one long project, a couple of short ones so that you've, you've got constant turnover of things as well. I think that's always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And on that point, I think what's really interesting, and I don't totally understand it myself, so I'm interested to know your opinion. I I don't always understand it when I talk to writers and they say, oh, yeah, I'm working on this major project and it might be a three-month or six-month thing like what you've just said and it is an all-consuming thing admittedly and then they say things like um, and because I need to focus on it, I can't take on any other jobs so my cash flow is really tight. I have to last on this for the next whatever amount of money for the next six months and I always scratch my head and I think, why don't you just take on like an 800-word gig once every you know. I'm with, yeah, I'm with <laughs> you on that because I think the thing is too that it's it's a little bit like what you said before, like the more time you have, the more time you fill up. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, I mean, I, I'm working on it at the moment, a 50, say 55 to 60,000 word manuscript. My aim is to try and get it done within about six weeks. Mm. Um, I've, I've got kids and jobs and dogs and, and all <laughs> sorts of other things going on as well, um, other work that needs to be done. I, I just, I feel like, you know, if I said I'm doing nothing but that, you know, yes. I, I reckon I'd be there the day before thinking, oh, dear, I've got to write, you know, 48,000 words tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Can you tell so, us what this manuscript is about? Have you mentioned this one to us? 
Uh, no, it's a kind of an it's a new one. I, okay. I'm not yeah. Oh. So it's 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 a very new thing. So I'm not. It's a new. I, I think it's a new trilogy that I'm working on. So so exciting. It is exciting. I'm really enjoying it. So exciting. Okay, well that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What are you up to in the following week? Well, luxuriating. Luxuriating. <laughs> Drinking coffee. No, not really. Well, I will be doing that too. But no, I, I'll be catching up on stuff. And you know what else I'm going to do is what? finally on my to-do list I have had for some time, admittedly, um, the NBN has been rolled out through <gasps> my area. Oh, my and, God. And I'm I am so not jealous. Yet, I am not yet connected. And oh I need my to God. get myself organised. You don't understand what a waste that is. I know. I, know, I do. I just haven't managed to. Oh, my God. I'm so excited and so jealous. I know, I know. I, th- I feel like the quality of the podcast is just going to improve immeasurably as soon as I get on the NBN, <laughs> don't you? I just want to be able to stream Netflix. That's all I want in life. I have, you know, very simple needs. Can't you do that up at the beach? Um. So, so where no. I am now, the uh, internet is so crap that Netflix <clears throat> is actually okay, but Presto is impossible. Oh. So I've tried streaming Presto and it's all jerky. It's like everyone's a robot. It's quite weird. Oh. Mm. Oh, poor Val. Yeah, I know, poor me. And, and Netflix perhaps. isn't perfect, but it's, you know, uh, nowhere near as bad as Presto. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about this. Because <laughs> we've come to the end of the podcast. Yes. That's why. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Where do we find you on social media, Al? Uh, well, you'll find me on my website at alisontate.com and you will find me on Twitter at at A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And do come and say hello to me on Facebook because my community over there is very, very awesome. Yes. And I have my Facebook group for the Pink Fibro Book Club, which uh, is also extremely awesome. I, I asked them all what their favourite, you know, Australian book was of all time yesterday and you should see the fight. that. <laughs> what was the majority? Oh, they were. There, it was actually it was a great list. If you're looking for a good reading list of Australian novels, mm. then you should have a look at the Pink Fibro Book Club. Um, well, Storm Boy came up a few times. Oh. Tim Winton's Cloud Street came up a few times. Oh. There were several Ruth Park novels that came yeah. up. Um, yeah, like a lot of different things to think about. So far, no Jasper Jones by Craig Sylvie, but oh. I and I didn't put that on my top three. But I actually then thought about it later and thought I should have because I enjoyed it so much when I read it recently. Yeah. After yep. you know not reading it for so many years, I finally read it and then got was like, oh, now I get it. Yep. That's what everyone's raving on about. Oh wow, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. So, so check it out. Search for Pink Fibro Book Club on mm. Facebook, especially if you love books and love reading and love a book club. It's it's mm. a great place to hang out. It is. But thank what you. What about you? Oh, what are you doing? What am I doing? Mm. Um, what am I doing? I have just put to bed a major writing related project, so okay. it's. It's taken so much out of me and I actually finished it today and I was so excited when I, you know, came to the final words. I mean, of course, little things need to be done to it still, but I'm over the massive hump, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm very proud of you, Valerie. I'm, I'm so excited that I drove for 27 kilometres to buy my favourite Bonoffi pie. And <laughs> I got my Bonoffi pie, I came home, I poured a glass of wine and I got into bed and I ate my Bonoffi pie and watched the new series of Arrow and that was my reward. I'm um, proud of you. <laughs> except 27 kilometres for a Bonoffi pie seems 
a little ridiculous, but whatever. But I was so excited at finishing this project. That's why it was, you know, I, I, I actually told myself, if you finish today, you get the Banoffee pie. <laughs> Bribery okay. works for me. Yeah, it works, it works for all of us, let's face it. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.